Okay, good morning. Thank you, Kirsten. Jim Kovach here from the Zimperium Public Sector Team. Uh, today's podcast is uh, with Devarius Peoples from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Devarius, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, listen, um, we just wanted to have a brief dialogue and discussion with you around some recent topics, um, I think largely surrounding the notion of uh, cybersecurity specifically. Uh, and then within that, probably some discussion around zero trust, um, mobile security, and you know relevant topics uh, around threats and the threat landscape. Obviously, with some recent activities, uh, in particular as recent as last week, with Apple's emergency update. I don't know how often emergency updates come out. Maybe. Um, my colleague, which by the way, I apologize, I should have introduced JT Keating as well, who is joining us on our podcast um, from uh, our Zimperium uh, marketing organization. Um, and uh, with respect to some of the recent threats uh, and the emergency update that was issued last week, maybe JT can share some macro level uh, perspectives around that when we get to that point of the conversation. So with that, uh, as an introduction, maybe Devarius, can you just give us some high-level, uh, you know, vitals of the Army Corps of Engineers? What you guys do? How are you unique? What does your landscape look like in terms of the population that you serve? Your customer uh, perspective, if if that's a good way to start, that'd be great. Yeah, no. Uh, first, again, uh, thanks for the for the opportunity to share just a little bit about what the Army Corps of Engineers do and efforts of being able to support the nation. Uh, one of the things that our CG, uh, Lieutenant General Spellman always says is the Army Corps of Engineers, we engineer solutions to the nation's toughest challenges. And from an IT perspective, we are an enabler to be able to help move the mission forward. Uh, within the Army Corps of Engineers, we have three major lines of effort. Uh, one of those major mission areas is our disaster relief mission. Uh, so when you think about hurricanes, floods, uh, we, we support the nation by, by being able to ensure that everyone is safe, have the resources that they need, as well as to be able to recover from, from those natural disasters and support while things are going on. Um, we are the construction element agent for the Department of Defense. Um, so on a lot of camp posts and stations, we build a lot of things on those camp posts and stations to include looking at barracks of the future, concepts and those type of things or installations of the future. Those are some of the major mission lines that the Corps of Engineers participates in. And then we have a huge civil mission um, where we, we monitor, manage, maintain a lot of the levees, locks, dams, um, and even we manage the waterways on one major or critical and key fact, um, an interesting fact that most don't know the, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers supports even the Pentagon with a lot of the water. Um, so those are some of the major critical lines of efforts and missions that we actually support. Uh, within the Corps of Engineers, we are about 36,000 users strong. Uh, we're in about 55 districts within the United States, uh, 123 countries worldwide. Um, and and we, we are the construction agents providing a lot of that, uh, that support to many of those places. From an IT perspective, we, we de deliver and we develop. Um, we look at different technologies. Um, we, are, we are modernizing our organization, our environment and our infrastructure in a strategic approach. And we have a dual mission. So we report to both OMB, um, OMB and Congress. And we also report to the army as well as an army agent and our army organization. Um, so that civil and DOD unique mission allows us to be able to stretch in many different facets. We work closely with the Department of Defense as well as DHS and FEMA um, on a lot of the federal emergency efforts and initiatives. Um, so we, we do a lot in this space. And, and again, cybersecurity is the foundation in what we do. And uh, we're trying to find an acceptable balance between cyber and mission. 
um, because those are some of the things I'm not going to say we struggle with, but as we operate and maintain, those are the things we have to keep in mind to ensure that the organization is protected, but also being able to ensure that we can meet the, uh, the, the things that the nation needs us to support with. So, so definitely glad of the opportunity and looking forward to the discussion with, with like minds and professionals. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, what a great introduction. And as a little fun fact uh, for the audience who may not know, Devarius, the camps, posts, and stations that you spoke of are of particular personal meaning to you because you grew up in the Army, correct? Uh, any, any thoughts around your, your uh, growing up in the Army? I've, I've grown, grown around in the Army channels, uh, you know, from, from different camp posts and stations. I, I've been around, uh, lived the dream. So I've seen a lot, um, had the opportunity just to be able to participate in and, and see the, the army grow and evolve, um, even up from childhood now to, to being in the, in the Tidewater area. Um, there are a lot of camp posts and stations in that area. I think the 757 is, is rich in, in military culture. Um, and, and even to see my brother who was in the Navy as well. So we have, we have the military in our background and, um, and we definitely uh, respect and, and, and enjoy supporting um, in many different facets. So, so we have definitely seen a lot and appreciate uh, everything that it happens in the club. Yeah, no, that, that, that's awesome. And I too uh, share our background. You know, I like to say sometimes I grew up in an infantry division, uh, sort of where I got my legs. So for those 11 Bravos out there, uh, thank you for your service. And of course, all the others as well. Um, so you had mentioned, you know, cybersecurity, uh, you know, key component to your overall perspective and your daily operation. Um, what can you share in terms of uh, the remote work population? Is there a certain percentage of the overall work population that you have that now has to, as an example, maybe come in through, and, and by the way, in terms of, uh, you know, collaboration in O365, can you describe uh, the core's specific alignment with DOD 365 and Army 365? Do you guys fall in alignment with that? Do you kind of do your own core um, collaboration? Uh, and then how that ties into the remote work population? So, so within, the, within the Army Corps of Engineers, we are an Army organization. So we follow all of the standard DOD regulations as well as Army guidance. Um, as you know, Dr. Iyer is the Army CIO, and, and we, as a, a supporting element within the Army, we report to the Army CIO for, for all things technical. So we follow the direction that the Army has, has identified. Um, USACE, the Corps of Engineers, we do have a unique mission because we have the civil aspects of the mission. However, we do follow the Army and the DOD regulations. So as it pertains to Army 365, we within USACE right now to support the, the unique civil mission, we manage our own O365 environment. However, um, even though we manage and maintain it with the various functions from email to, to Teams, OneDrive, OneNote, we still integrate to the rest of the department. So when you think of th about things such as GDS, which is the Global Directory Services, having the ability to, to look up the rest of our DOD counterparts, our Army counterparts, the ensuring that the global directories are synced from a synergies perspective to ensure effective mission collaboration. Um, even though we manage and maintain our own environment, we still integrate with the Army as an Army element. Um, so that means we not only deploy the, the proper cybersecurity controls, but from a collaboration perspective, we have the ability to integrate. 
Um, one of the unique things about the Corps of Engineers, we actually uh, manage and maintain a lot of the research environments for the, for the Department of Defense with the DREN network, which is the research and engineering uh, environment. So with that being said, we have a critical tie into the rest of the Army. And as O365 evolves, um, having the ability to communicate effectively with everyone in the department are one of the major mission lines that we have. So that means we have to communicate. So hence, we have a true dependency and a true connection with the, uh, with the entire Army. So we're not out there doing our own thing, even though we manage and maintain various aspects of our environment due to the fact that we are Army. So then when you think about things such as CBR, CBR, as many are aware, when the pandemic first started, the Department of Defense rolled out CBR, which is a Microsoft Teams platform capability that ensures effective collaboration. We all use that platform as a part of the Army, which is a very great tool to help us advance communication and collaboration as we went forward. And those were areas that we had to ensure that cybersecurity practices were implemented at its best. Um, because when you think about collaboration, many different military departments trying to effectively communicate, that means we're now allowing everybody on one platform to operate, to share information, share documents. And when you think about cybersecurity, um, and when you think about the Corps of Engineers, we are two thirds of remote work organization. That was before COVID. And now we're probably about, I say we're almost about 80% remote now. So that means a lot of connections, a lot of people coming in from different locations. So ensuring that we are secure and can collaborate, that was critical. So CBR definitely assisted us, but it also forced us to enhance some of our cybersecurity practices, as well as our cybersecurity tools to ensure that we were properly securing that traffic as well as the data that was inside of those systems. So, so we have begun to deploy a lot of cybersecurity concepts as we go to ensure that the main thing we protect, which is the data, as we collaborate efficiently and effectively while we're working remote or working what we call the new now. Sure. Yeah, no, and I think that is the new now and 80%. That's that's impressive. And JT, I'll bring you in here. Uh, I know you have perspective, certainly from the commercial landscape as it relates to O365 and conditional access and things of that nature. And, um, you know, fundamentally, most email nowadays uh, is read on a mobile device. Uh, all the day-to-day -day work behavior uh, you know, supports that. Um, I'm fairly certain all the statistics support that. So what that presents is obviously a real world risk since we're reading those emails and text messages, quite frankly, on our mobile device and how easily some of those phishing, you know, those email phishing attempts have more, um, call it, uh, you know, risk capability of infecting the enterprise because they are, you know, just the form factor coming in on the mobile device presents, you know, inherent, uh, additional inherent risks. What, uh, what's some of your perspective on, on that? Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Jim. Um, it, and for those folks that don't know, uh, one of the things I do is I, I help um, run our uh, threat information dissemination. And so, you know, Jim's talking about various different elements and on mobile devices, there's basically four threat vectors, some of which have been in most people's world and to various would be interesting to hear, you know, from, from you on this part. Some of them have been things that like people are like, well, they, they don't even exist on traditional environments. So for instance, the dumbest thing about smartphones is the phone introduces itself to the network, not the other way around. Um, so our phones and our tablets, they just keep walking around, going up to every Wi-Fi, and they're like, hey, are you Starbucks? You know, and all the network has to do is go, yes. You know, so 
for most people, it doesn't sound like Devarius's world. For most people, they hadn't had to worry about network threats forever. Um, but with two thirds now, 80% of your people out in the wild, you know, be interesting to various kind of how you guys handle that on both traditional and mobile side. But, but Jim, coming back to your, to your kind of fundamental point, there's a, a few things to unpack in there. One, yes, two thirds of emails read on mobile according to stats across, uh, across industries, right? So that right there says, okay, there's an exposure point and as Darius is pointing out to the data, Right, and and I uh, I completely agree with uh, what Darius was talking about in terms of balancing cyber and the mission, right? Um, you know, because if the mission isn't successful, then then to a certain extent, you know, it's like all right, well that that's not helpful. That was the whole point of being here. And I think about the complexity that you guys deal with, Darius. I mean, the complexity organizationally between FEMA, DOD, civil. Then the complexity across 122 countries, and then the complexities of national disasters, you know, it's like, and then, oh, by the way, you're supposed to enable the IT and secure it um, at the same time. So non-trivial exercise to say the least. Um, and then Jim, you know, back to your point, there's O365 and what a lot of people don't know is on mobile devices, and I'm also including Chromebooks in that, by the way. So basically iOS and Android and various themes, all of the attachments of your email is sitting on one folder on a mobile device. So if a mobile device is compromised, just like it's very easy to pull all your photos and pull all your contacts, you just pull the attachments, right? Um, but then the other part you're talking about, Jim, is the phishing side of the world. Um, and most of the anti-phishing technology that's out there is inline and corporate email or in this case, agency email or, you know, um, and, but what about SMS? What about text? What about, you know, et cetera? So it's, it's, a, it's a totally different vector. Um, and we're actually even uh, putting out a post that'll run right about the same time. In fact, a little bit before this, uh, this podcast on mobile specific phishing attacks. We're actually seeing this new, uh, we've seen it as a trend, but now it's starting to reach uh, critical mass of sites that will render differently based on what platform you're coming in. Some of them will literally give you a 404 error if you come in on a, a traditional laptop, whereas it'll actually give you a phishing site if you're coming in on mobile because people are so used to clicking and just bump, 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 bump. So th this just adds more complexity to poor, you know, Devarius in terms of what he's dealing with. Um, because like you needed another whole set of endpoints that are in the hands of <laughs> users that can't be centrally patch managed, that connect to any Wi-Fi they want, et cetera. So, um, but that'll be an interesting conversation as we get into this, Devarius. Um, and around, what are you guys doing on the mobile side? Are you enabling BYOD or is it always directly delivered? So those will be some of the things that um, I'd be very interested to have conversations with as we go further on to this. Yeah, and uh, so appreciate uh, that that insight. Um, maybe just a quick pivot, uh, Devarius, unless you had some uh, comments on some of that mobile. So we, can, we, we can pivot. I'm sure we'll we'll okay. circle back on a lot of okay. those as we go through the discussion. Yeah, because I think it kind of you know ties in nicely. But one of the things I did want to ask about is, you know, given all that's on your plate and how you have to respond uh, to real world events, 
Um, as part of that, what have been some of the actions that you've had to take as part of the you know, POTUS executive order on improving cybersecurity in broad strokes, but then specifically, of course, as it talks about zero trust. And I know the DoD has a large DoD reference architecture. Is that something that you guys align to and then you do additional? Or what are your thoughts around uh, the alignment with the POTUS executive order and then specifically zero trust? Um, and then maybe a little bit of specificity around how you would uh, characterize device integrity or what we like to refer to oftentimes is uh, device attestation. Uh, in other words, it's great that we can validate JT as JT, but if JT's device is about to carry a malicious payload into your infrastructure, you know that could be problematic. So we hear a lot about ICAM and identity validation, um, but oftentimes the device attestation or device integrity uh, sometimes maybe doesn't get called out as much. So just curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah. So so when the when the presidential executive order came out, we were we were forward leaning uh, from an Army Corps of Engineers perspective. So it was kind of an anticipation, not so much an order, because we were, we were already prepared for that. So, so some of the things that we have begun to do uh, within the organization, we use this concept of micro strategies. And micro strategies are a set of objectives, um, a set of objectives, and then there are a set of activities that are associated with those objectives and, and a mission statement. And what that does is that helps us to begin to align where our thoughts should be, align how we should aggressively get after things. And then it allows us to identify in a check by check, uh, check by check playlist of what needs to be done. Um, so as it pertains to the executive order sentence specifically around cybersecurity, um, there were various aspects that we had already begun to dig into our, our strategic concept. When you think about things such as 5G, 4G, we had begun to actively deploy 5G, 4G at a lot of our, our distant in locations because our ultimate goal is to meet the end user where they are. That's one of the things that we practice within the Corps of Engineers because ultimately our main goal is to ensure that our, our engineers um, and our technicians and our end users have the ability to effectively do their job. So then when we begin to look at aspects such as zero trust, zero trust integrated with, with 5G, 4G, as well as training, some of the things we begin to step back and say is, one, what does 5G, 4G mean as it pertains to zero trust? What does zero trust mean as it pertains to a network? And then we also begin to look at zero trust from the perspective of OT, operational technologies, which one of the areas when the initial executive order came out from a Corps of Engineers perspective, we identified and said, hey, this is an area where we really need to ensure we bake that into the zero trust concept, zero trust methodology, because many forget about the OT aspects of things, but the operational technology component to me is probably even as critical or even more critical than the network component, because a lot of the network components are managing your technical pieces. And yes, when you think about warfighters and those type of things, we have to protect the warfighter. But when you think about the operational technology, which resonates more with, a, with an end user for how you go about your day-to-day -day living, when you think about reservoirs, when you think about water consumption, when you think about hydropower and dredging concepts, those are critical natural things that need to be taken care of. And from a zero trust perspective, how do we secure those, those IT bots? I call them IT bots that manage a lot of those operational technology concepts. So we built, and within the Corps of Engineers, we built the, the Zero Trust Framework Playbook. And that playbook goes through 12 different various zones. 
Um, so yes, when people talk about zero trust, we talk about zero trust at certain levels. But from the Corps of Engineers, we went through the full life cycle of how to deploy zero trust against a lot of different concepts and techniques. So, so with that being said, we measured it against our IT concepts and our operational technology as well to ensure we could really understand how to deploy it. And one of the key areas we put a lot of emphasis in as a part of the playbook is the training concept. Because at the end of the day, zero trust is the theology, but we had to operationalize the theory in order to ensure we knew what we were doing. However, in order to successfully do that, we had to train our end users, our technicians. We trained from the senior level executive all the way down to the technician, because ultimately zero trust principles should be aligned throughout the entire organization. And in order to effectively be able to apply it, you have to be trained. You have to know what to look for. So we invested a lot into the training aspects of our zero trust methodology and playbook, which we actually use every day. So we apply it against our networks. We apply it against even our, our, our mobile devices, our, our cloud capabilities, cloud capabilities such as our O365, which when you think about things such as Microsoft Teams, uh, allowing and denying, when you deny all, allow by exception, compartmentalize some of those concepts because zero trust isn't necessarily a new concept. It is an enhanced concept on previous practices. So now we've just taken it to the next level to ensure that cybersecurity is, is even heightened and called out even more at the high level. So we, were, we welcomed the presidential executive memo and we were able to continue to move forward through implementation. So we have really emphasized the operational technology component of the executive order and as it is applied to zero trust. And those are just some of the things that, that, we, begin to, uh, that we begin to do. So then when you think about zero trust, you think about zero trust as it's aligned to things such as ICANN, um, or the, the identity and the access management and the credentialing aspects of things. Um, but then you also begin to look at it from the perspective of, of networking, um, because that's critical also. So you have capabilities such as 802.1x, which allows for port security um, that, that we begin to leverage ensuring that we know what devices come onto the network, um, ensuring that we can disconnect those devices that improperly connect to the network. Um, so when it comes to recognizing certain devices and specifically mobile devices, we use our, our mobile device management console, which we are from a core of engineers in the process of modernizing and upgrading because we realized we had to make some significant cyber adjustments in order to keep up with the, with the forever changing landscape of what mobile device really means. And as we go through the conversation, we'll dive into the, what BYOD means to, to DOD, what it means to the Army Corps of Engineers, and some of the futuristic concepts that we're looking at as it pertains to BYOD. But that goes back to mobile device, mobile assertion, as you've already identified. How do you properly identify or, or assign a unique identifier to a user through ICAM, which gives them the ability to connect? Because that unique identifier is just as your social security number. It will go with you throughout the life cycle of whatever you touch, whether it's your network, whether it's your mobile device and allow you for that uh, access and, and authentication into that environment. So we're beginning to put a lot into it because that is important as we assign devices to end users, whether they are government furnished or whether you bring them as personal devices, having access to the data allows for us to be able to properly secure those things. So, so we're looking at all aspects as we go throughout the evolution of modernization within the Corps of Engineers. Yeah, that's awesome. And what I kind of took away is that is the epitome of uh, mission alignment, right? As you walked through, not just the, the framework and the architecture concepts and the theology, as you say, of it, but how it actually lands on the ground in the operational sense um, and the employment 
of those technologies that facilitate uh, the actual uh, user or employee or worker to, to actually do their job. Um, so that's, that's an excellent layout of how you've been able to, to take that and, and apply it in an operational sense. Um, a, a little bit more maybe on kind of as you go forward, do you anticipate there being more uh, bring your own to the landscape uh, from a mobile perspective? Do you anticipate uh, kind of the GFE uh, still for a while or what's, if you had to kind of look into the future, what, what are you anticipating being the landscape a year from now, two years from now, maybe even five years from now in terms of what that device population consists of and looks like? Yeah, so, so that's one of those, that's one of those conversation starters. I preface it that way. That's a good conversation starter. Uh, because depending on who you talk to, many people have different perspectives. Um, what I can do is give you my perspective. Um, and within the Army, within the Army, we are working with DOD to explore the BYOD concept. Um, we haven't figured everything out, but we are exploring different concepts. Where I believe, from my personal perspective, where I believe the the more in-depth analysis has to be applied. It's not necessarily the technical aspects of things. Because when you think about it technically, you have the ability to secure web connections for individuals that are coming into the environment. You have the ability to containerize a mobile applications and mobile devices uh, or, or the access of a mobile device to a specific website and those type of things um, from a person that has a personal device. Uh, to be able to give them multi-personas multi on a specific device or give them a specific way to connect into an application or into your enterprise and authenticate in that way. I think where the challenge comes into play is more so on the, on the legality side of the house because now you have a personal device which is not government authorized or government issued. So now you have the, the, the battle between what is my personal information, what is my personal device that I am now using for the, in the, context of, of government work. And, and when you begin to look at those things, you know, you have a personal life and then you have a work life, right? So there has to be a work-life balance um, as, we, as we begin to, to operationalize and, and, and carry out the business of what's needed. Um, you begin to look at also things such as uh, data integrity. Um, when you think about the confidentiality, integrity, availability concepts, that means now by giving individual users the ability to access government websites, government data on a personal device that goes back to the storage concepts. How do you properly protect the data in which it is that an individual may store on their personal device? It also goes back to the ability of being able to wipe that personal device because that is a personal device that you're giving a person access to federal data of some sort, unless we are separating those and, are not, and not allowing data to be stored on a personal device, but it stays in one area. So. I think there are many things from a legal perspective that we have to work out, which will be more of a challenge than actually the technology that we're gonna use to be able to implement a, a BYOD concept. So that's where I'm looking or I'm interested in seeing how the concepts evolve based off of research that is being performed. But technically, I strongly believe that, that it is very doable. And I honestly believe that within the next probably 18, 24 months, that will be more of a reality. It's just a matter of walking through some of the, the legal process and procedure things to include the cybersecurity and the protection of the data. That makes total sense. And JT, from a commercial market, you know, solving this legal 
and you know some would say privacy challenge, um, not a new thing. Uh, you know, devices have been out in the commercial landscape for quite some time. Uh, there's a number of different acronyms to it: BYOD, um, corporate owned, personally enabled. Um, you know, kind of a, a host of different things out there. Um, but one central thing that I've seemingly paid attention to is when it does come to um, security, one of the commonalities is to, and, and oh, by the way, this happens to align with zero trust, is to make, make it such that for every resource that you're trying to access within an infrastructure or within your enterprise, there's a check, right? There's a conditional access check, if you will, such that it, it minimizes what a user might have access to broadly speaking, and then therefore what a threat or you know, risk might have access to as well. Can you, JT, give us some perspective on how maybe some of the commercial uh, markets have, have handled this in, in that regard? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and actually it's, it, you know, I'm sitting here, uh, so uh, to various, uh, I grew up in Lake Tahoe, but most recently I'm in Dallas now, but lived in Austin for a number of years. And I kept hearing about Austin being the live music capital of the world. And I was like, eh, it's a little self-inflated, you know, self-glossing yourself like that until you actually hang out in Austin. And then you're like, okay, well, Austin's music is pretty dang good. Um, so one of the expressions there is fangirling. Like if there's a, if there's a band where, you know, you're just like, those dudes are incredible. It's called fangirling. Well, I'm kind of fangirling on Tavares right now because there's so many people that talk about all these things, talk about zero trust, talk about BYOD. The fact that you're dropping in the OT, the fact that you guys already have a playbook. I mean, you guys are good, but I'm assuming you didn't create a playbook right after the executive order came out. Um, you know, so, you know, you guys have been eat, sleeping and breathing this and, and Jim back to your question and I actually have a question back to Devarius off of this um, you know it's fascinating you're right Jim so much of this stuff is now falling under zero trust I mean in my mind to completely oversimplify zero trust it's I'm going to be providing on the fly access to resources based upon the risk uh, and information I have about the identity and the device and the network but to, to, to overly simplify based on available information and risk posture, I'm going to make decisions on what I'm gonna give you access to, right? Um, and so what's interesting is a lot of our O365 implementations and our and commercial and um, in, in public sector, they're really zero trust. They're conditional access. And, the, and how it dovetails back into that privacy question is, and to various, I'd be really interested in your take on this because you mentioned MDM and starting to go different piece. I think a really interesting question, particularly when it comes to BYOD, is how much does device management actually even play? What we're seeing in the commercial market is it doesn't. What we're seeing for the most part in the commercial market, and it, it, again, coming back to the various, it'd be very interesting on this part. In the commercial market, that balance of security and, and, uh, and you know, the, the mission, when it comes to BYOD, they go to extremes of we don't want any personal information. We don't want to have access to anything. When you have, when you have a, an MDM, you get the scary message when you first install it. This organization can see your contacts. You can see you know, read your email. It can, you know, pa, 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 pa. When it comes to BYOD in the commercial market and 
even a bunch of the public sector accounts that we've got, it's conditional launch as opposed to you know conditional management, right? They will decide if they're going to launch O365 based on the risk posture of the device. They will decide if they're going to um, you know, give any, but they're not actually accessing any part of that person's device. They, 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 they literally, they're not looking at any part. The only thing they're doing is, is it risky or not? And then I'm going to decide what information I'm going to disseminate, not what information you're going to get back. Um, now, most of them, they do get information back, but it's forensic information. It's not personal information. Um, so, but Devarius, I'd be, I'd be interested in, you know, your take on when it comes to specifically BYOD, are, are you are you seeing it more like that situation as it goes forward where it's it's I'm going to decide if I'm going to give you access to a cloud-based app or your email or whatever, but I'm not actually going to be reaching into your device to have access to your contacts and everything on those lines. Do you, do you see a model working out that way potentially? Well, I think that's part of what the what the research and analysis is going to let us know. Mm -hmm. um, because when you and, and, and they say, yes, we have a definitive answer for that. My transparent answer is right now, again, the research will let us know that. Because when you think about a personal device, I can't tell you what to access on your personal device. I really can't tell you where to go on that personal device either, because again, that is your personal device. Um, so where the where the, the, the tussle comes into play is from a government perspective. How do we ensure that a user accessing information that is government information, probably unclassified information on that mobile device, how do you securely access it being that it is a personal device? And that's what we're beginning to work through. And if, as we go through it and, and assess the security posture and determine, hey, a user only needs to have access to this information or we need to restrict personal devices from being able to be personal contacts to be joined from a government side. You know, we, we're still looking at what those parameters mean as we go through the various checklists. Um, and that's the that's the complexities of, of what BYOD means even to us. Because when you think about the federal landscape, there are cybersecurity practices that the federal government adds on top of what the commercial sector does, which means it's even more, it's, addition, it's in addition to. So right. some of those known goods in the commercial sector may not always translate to the federal government side due to the fact that there is an added layer of, of requirements. I use that term. There is an added le level of requirements that require you to harden, harden the system a little bit more. And it forces you to think about the various interconnections, um, the interconnections that you're going to connect with. So it's not just that specific device. So how do you protect the entire ecosystem without a point to point type of connection? So again, I think that BYOD will be feasible in the next 18, 24 months. However, how the government decides to categorize what is accessible from that mobile device will be critical. And that research now is being is ongoing as we go through the various BYOD pilots and bring in different resources. Because I know just for the Army, the Army is huge. We do many different things, whether that's war fighting, whether that's training, uh, whether that's uh, classroom type of initiatives or academia whether that's the Army Corps of Engineers that has the, the construction side of the house, there are many different things that the Army does. So there's, many, there's a large community of practice that will have to access different aspects of data. So how do you allow for that connection to be performed safely from a personal device because it's not a government furnished device, which is controlled a lot more by the government 
because people don't update their devices at the same time. Some people ignore all the Apple updates, right? So, you know, and, and then they say, well, why doesn't my device work? So now you got operational things where people are trying to call the help desk for a personal device that doesn't work, right? So you're beginning to have those issues that you have to work through, your TTPs, your cybersecurity posture and what it means. So there is a lot to peel back from an onion perspective just to really identify what's needed. But I, but I do believe we'll get there, but there is a lot that we have to take into consideration as we begin to explore what BYOD really means from a, from a government perspective. Well, Devarius, thank you for that. And uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I think this conversation is, is awesome and can continue for sure. But uh, being respectful for the podcast and the time a lot, I just want to thank you. Um, and I'll amplify and echo absolutely in the government world. There's always more uh, on every front. So with that, we thank everyone for their time, Devarius, especially yours as well. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.